Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Secret Origins of Mint Condition. This is a Star Wars edition, and uh, we've traded in our uh, Constitution-class starship uh, for a, a T-6 Jedi Starfire uh, fighter to talk about Ahsoka today. And uh, joining me for this discussion is a regular friend of the show and host of the Star Trek edition. Um, John is here with us. Glad to be here. Haven't been in this universe in a while. I know, and we're uh, we're sitting inside a purgle whale, heading into the unknown <laughs> regions, and uh, you know, so I so this is the two of us today, John, and I think you have. I guess I want to start like Ahsoka to me, and I don't know what your thoughts are. I really enjoyed it, but I would say from the Disney Plus content we've gotten so far between Marvel and Star Wars, this is the show that required the most homework of the viewer. I was thinking about before we record today. You have to watch the prequels a large section of Clone Wars, a large section of Rebels, obviously the original trilogy, part of the Mandalorian. Uh, if you want to get the full scope, read the Heir to the Empire saga and to watch the show and fully appreciate it. I don't, I don't know if you felt that or what your thoughts were on it. It's funny you say that because that's exactly what I ended up doing. So I had, I'd, of course, I'd read the books in the 90s and had a, you know, a recollection of them. I hadn't read the books that followed up, which retconned and sort of redid Thrawn a bit. Um, uh, more recently, I know there have been some, if not uh, books, comics, but the 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 animated shows that Thrawn was featured in, I had no familiarity with. I only knew that they happened. So I watched episode one of Ahsoka and was like, okay, this th- this has grabbed my interest, um, but I felt a little off, uh, you know, off off balance. I was like, I'm not sure. You know what? Am I, I, I the way they wrote it? You're right. I felt like I was supposed to know things about these characters already, so to get the relationships, um, the issues they were facing, um, and so I went back and I watched a few episodes, uh, Rebels in particular, uh, and and that definitely helped. I mean that because the moment they referred to the space wells and everything else, I'm like, okay, yeah, there's something big that happened here. Let me at least go back. So I watched basically the, the I think the last two or three episodes of the series, something like that. Um, and I got I got sort of the vibe uh, and the basic storyline. And what I appreciated about doing that was getting the sense of animated Thrawn, uh, but with the voice of um, of uh, Lars uh, of Lars Mikkelsen. Uh, that that really sort of get, you know got me excited for Thrawn coming in the series. I was assuming he was going to make his appearance in this show, as everyone had been saying. Um, and it gave me a little bit more background to the characters, you know, uh, in the years they'd fought in the rebellion. And I was like, okay, cool. I, I, I can see what this is, but you're right. I've never seen Disney do quite a, a, uh, a show where it is built upon so many other shows and, or was itself almost completely independent, uh, just referencing things from the universe that you get more of if you had recently watched it or were more familiar with the Star Wars world. But yeah, what do you, do you, was, was that a problem getting into it? No, I mean, I, I'm a person who's like, I've, I've been, I've seen everything. Like I, it took, like in this hiatus of, uh, well, during the pandemic, I, I, wa- I rewatched, I, not rewatched, I watched Rebels, I watched Clone Wars. Um, I've read the Thrawn trilogy. I've even read, I even forgot, I didn't even bring it up. Like I've read the um, Kevin J. Anderson um, Thrawn books that are, that are now canon. Um, and those were really excellent too. So I had seen everything, but I was thinking like, cause we, we've had this like larger conversation in some of our episodes, like should episodes or movies have such a high barrier to entry? 
like I enjoyed it because I did all the homework. Like, but I imagine, and you've done, you did some additional homework, but for the viewer who is coming into this cold or has like very little familiarity with just like maybe Star Wars as a whole, I don't know if it works as a show like that. It, it doesn't quite work as a show like that because, um, because they didn't, well, it, it might, I, I'd, I'd have to talk to somebody who didn't. Uh, and, and I'm trying to remember a conversation. I've talked to a number of people about it. Uh, and most of them were very familiar with all the other material or told me to watch the other shows. Um, there's one person that comes to mind uh, who had no familiarity with the previous shows. And they had, they had a complaint about the first maybe third of the show where they felt that it was sort of slow uh, and, you know, I, th- I think they didn't use the word inaccessible, but but slow and just sort of seemed like, well, I'm not sure what I'm getting into here. And, and so that was definitely a complaint. I, I think what actually matters, the, the funny thing is that I, I was I was uh, listening to the news the other day. Uh, uh, my, my way of listening to the news these days is if I'm on a commute, I subscribe to Apple News Plus through the, that whole thing. And I just listen to all the uh, uh, magazine and long form journalism articles that are narrated, which is really a cool way. Uh, to be able to do that, if you if if you have time to kill, you get you know you don't have to worry about just the headline grabbing news. You get things from you know everything from the New Yorker to the Hollywood Reporter, but everything in between. You know, or, no, this is Variety actually, something better than that. Disney Disney's an interesting position. This is a little bit of a quick tangent, but uh, Disney's hemorrhaging money on Disney Plus, mm-hmm. but they have to be looking at the metrics behind shows like this and figuring out well, does it work? Does it seem to get us both viewers and subscribers or not? And my general theory is that if you have a groundwork of enough shows that are completely accessible, putting sprinkling in shows like Ahsoka really works because it gives the rest of the more established viewers something to really sink their teeth into. Um, rather than, you know, I, I, people hear a lot of criticism about the Marvel movies, uh, that's, uh, that especially years ago, that was a lot of origin stories. And there's more to go on with modern Marvel movies that I won't even dive into now, but it does get exhausting to constantly be dealing with either origin stories or let's explain everything for, especially in an eight, eight, eight episode run where you might lose a few episodes just to that. So I think if there's the right proportion, it might work, but I feel like we'd have to get a Disney executive here <laughs> to be like, does this work or not? You know, like what, what are you seeing in terms of viewer response uh, and, 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 and how that translates in their business model to subscriptions, which they may not even know how to do that yet. I mean, there's a big, discussion about how to translate it into people actually subscribing. Personally, I like it. I like it. If every show was like this, I think there'd be a problem. But for the people who were really invested in the Star Wars universe um, and who maybe have read some of the books as well, this is really a treat. This is really something that bridges a few different things together. And uh, I I got um, uh, this one person I was talking to, I, I got him excited about Thrawn. He sort of knew about Thrawn in the back end. Obviously, the show was spoilers. Thrawn is in the show. Um, <laughs> he he sort of knew that this guy Thrawn was coming. Hadn't watched Rebels, but had heard through the grapevine about this. When I gave my sort of summary of Thrawn and my experience reading the books in the 90s, he was like, oh, okay, I'm going to stick with this. I'm going I'm to keep going because that sounds fascinating, and it's a villain like none other. Um, and jumping ahead, I wasn't disappointed uh, with that in this show. I was blown away. I was, I was, every moment Thrawn was on the screen, I was like just 
st- like staring at the screen. I could not put, tear my eyes away. Yeah, I agree. He he was he was great. He was great. I I feel like he again like I'm I agree with what you said. Like the meatiness, I, I enjoy the meatiness of the show, and it works for me because again I I've seen all the stuff, and I've been I've been waiting for Thrawn for a long time. I'm sure you've been waiting to see if like Thrawn would ever make a live action in canon appearance. Um, I mean, the most we got back in the day, John, is they made a card from the expanded universe for the Star Star Wars collectible card game. That was the most uh, close, I guess, we got to Thrawn being transferred out of the uh, book and into live action. So, you're uh, right. You're right. And I never got that card. I think I I think we, we we had stopped playing as a group in min condition at that point. We I don't think it was the the game du jour anymore. Um, but I remember being like, oh man, I would go back just to play Thrawn. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember even what it looked like. Oh, I'm yeah. A- I mean, I just remember they, I think they actually hired an actor. Like the big thing is like, oh, they put an actor and they made him up in blue and gave him the white uniform. I mean, that was like, the, that was like the highest hope that we could ever have for the, for the era of the empire to be live action. So to have like live action Thrawn, who it seems like they've, and again, it, only a Disney exec could, could tell us, but it seems like whatever happens with Ahsoka, like they can't just leave Thrawn, out there and not like address that he's this big bad they've introduced that's not going to show up again in some star wars property coming up yeah uh, which yeah. Is, it's it's amazing i mean and again it's not it's not specifically heir to the empire um but i think there are parts of the trilogy that they've weaved in either into rebels or or weaved in a little bit even to what we've seen in ahsoka so you know i'm against spoilers too I'm, I'm happy with with thrawn and i'm glad he's now in the official star wars canon and I guess the rumors are we haven't even talked about the show. I'm going to rumors, but um, I think the rumor is like he's responsible for establishing the first order. I think is where I've heard things are going to go. Interesting, interesting. So this 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 is this is where you know all of it comes together of like, well, how do we how does a show like this you know fit in Star Wars, and and most importantly, is it enjoyable? Uh, you know and that on, on that it was for me but yeah w- what is its place and there are a lot of missing pieces in star wars right now um and especially since we're not getting another movie until i believe 2026 something like that um, yeah uh uh so which i'm i'm actually fine with taking taking a break and letting letting things sort of settle um especially after i think everybody in the world has heard me talk about it knows my strong opinions on episode nine you know, let, letting letting something new co- co- come out of it, but they the the difficulty that I would imagine uh, Dave Filoni had with this show, and has with all the shows is how do they bridge what happened? You know, episode six, episode seven, mm-hmm. uh, because to, to to be fair, I don't think the writers of the movie did an acceptable job of that, uh, and that's the word I'm going to use is acceptable job. Um, it, 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 it really, I think robbed us not only of the expanded universe, but it robbed us of any sense of, of, well, what happened in the in-between that was worthwhile. You know, the new Republic seemed to be a virtual nothing wiped out in one move, uh, uh, by an overly dramatic version of the death star. And, um, all these shows have been in that interim period, in my opinion, much better than the movies and really, really compelling. Uh, and, and that's been the part for me is that they've all been compelling. Mandalorian, you know, from, from the first episode, it's like, oh, this this is not only revisiting the Star Wars role, but this is taking it a little bit deeper, but make, but but bringing out the stuff the fans really loved and exploring some new things. Uh, and then Andor really, I think, 
capstone that in, 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 in the best form. Um, and this, and this did that too, because there we are more worlds. We got to see more worlds from this. We got to see more of the machinations of the, of the, uh, new Republic, uh, uh, for good and bad. We got to see where some of our previous here, especially if you watched rebels, you got to see where some of your favorite characters ended up, um, still fighting the good fight. And, but actually genuinely trying to build something after they fall the empire. And that's, I think, for me, as a, as a viewer, as a reader of, of any books related to this, that's what I want to see. Even even if the New Republic will ultimately fall, uh, I, I want it to be more like, I don't know, I don't know if the comparison, the fall of Rome, something that was big and grand and worthwhile, but it wasn't just sort of like, hey, we beat the emperor, uh, we tried it, and oh God, the, the, the First Order came along, wiped everything out. Like, that just felt so trite. Is that the yeah. word for it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean... You know, I think the re- reflecting on episode seven, you know, The Force Awakens at this point, it, you know, I remember really enjoying it when we first, I mean, like it was, you know, it was great to have like Star Wars back in the movies. You know, it was great that Disney brought it back. I was very excited to see it. A little bit on reflection of it. I don't know if it was the most well thought out movie in terms of where all our characters wound up and what they did with them. Um, you know, because like sort of watching all these shows in the the, the post-Jedi, pre-Force Awakens era, un- unfortunately, like you said, all of this is going towards the Force Awakens, and uh, I it seems it doesn't seem like the right ending for this behind-the-scenes universe that they're creating. Like, if all of this is leading up to the Force Awakens, I don't know if the Force Awakens holds up with this backstory that we're eventually working towards. And, and that's why I, I think that the, the, the break between movies gives them enough chance to maybe maybe sort of work on that, shall we say, you know, I, I know that the, you know, the, the, this isn't, you know, I don't like getting into the discussions where it gets too personal about the people involved, because I know there's a lot of fan, uh, uh, you know, arguments out there. And some of them get really nasty about the people who head up the studios, who head up projects. Um, I'm, Listen, I, it's hard, it's hard to, um, you know, the, the sequel trilogy may not be what we all wanted it to be in various stages. It's still a lot of work. It's hard. Yeah. Um, Nobody is, I'm thinking, nobody in those projects was going and planning to not do Star Wars well or not tell a good Star Wars story. Um, yeah, I, 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 so yeah, I'm agree with you. I'm not, when I make a criticism of it, I'm not criticizing it like the people did a bad, like, you know, I'm not personally criticizing them. I just don't know if it was as thought out as it could be or should have been when they launched into that sequel trilogy. And, and, and that, and then Tanya, like right back to the cast in the show, like, I think that the, much of the choice of people who wrote and worked on um, uh, the, the the movies, I, I think that a lot of them are fantastic, but they were poor fits. Uh, and I'll be blunt about that. I, I think that the director, J.J. Abrams, was a poor fit for both Star Wars and Star Trek, while I love some of his other materials. So it's not like saying, oh, let's trash this guy. It's saying Hollywood movie production is as much about picking the right uh, the right people to work on it as anything else. And sometimes you just miss on that. The problem is that we tend to overly commit to who's involved in a project or not. This Ahsoka uh, with Dave Filoni, who's also had some misfires with some grand successes as well. Mm. Uh, I think he threads the needle here with his show and pulls it off, at least if you get through the first three episodes, which are a little bit, they are a little bit dragging in terms of the buildup because they're, they don't want they don't want to just like launch you right into it. Episode one. Um, so I definitely see what he was getting at here and he really, he, uh, both in directing to the episodes, but writing them and 
I, I, he's, the, he's the entire showrunner for this, um, I believe. The casting, phenomenal. I, yeah. I am just, I am so delighted by the casting. I will admit, it took me a while to figure out it was David Tennant. Uh, <laughs> yes, it did. It did for me too. I was like, "This voice really." I'm like, "Wait a second. There's, there's, there's something. There's a unique British accent that's very specific to that. With, with, with a sense of dry humor. Wait a, is that is is that who I think it is? Is that the doctor? You know. So, so that. But um, I want to. I want to give a complete shout out to uh, Rosario Dawson, who I think is phenomenal uh, in the role as Ahsoka captures um an older version really well an older version how somebody would have come through uh um the well let's use the t-word trauma of 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 the of of the end of the republic the and even more importantly the fall of her master anakin skywalker and the very close relationship they had that's where the previous shows really help because they establish they weren't just Padawan and Master in terms of, you know, the, the sort of the typical training. These shows showed a real personal bond that developed that viewers went on a journey with, which made the fall of Anakin that much more tragic and that much more heartfelt as well. So her own doubts and yet her own resolve, both being present, were really present in that character because it's sort of a stereotype to have the the uh, um, Jedi who is a little bit uh, distant because, well, they've gone through some stuff and they're going to be distant. This show gave us a real sense as to why. And then that appearance of Anakin. Yeah. I I teared up. I yeah. really teared up watching their their interactions, even as it was going from fight to, to, to the battlefield, to the discussions, all of it. And I was just really feeling it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, well, what, if anything these shows are, show, are demonstrating between this and Kenobi is that... Uh, if Hayden Christensen had been directed differently or possibly had a different dialogue, he would, Anakin would, we would think of Anakin much differently in the prequel era. I think. Oh, uh, absolutely. Um, hey, he's got the chops. He knows the character. And when, when allowed to act and use all his, all his talents, he can really bring some gravitas and depth and dimension to a character we never got to see on screen until, until recently. Uh, it, yeah, I mean the the relationship between him and Ahsoka and seeing him in the episode was was moving, and I surprisingly this never caught on for me watching all the shows prior to this. Um, Ahsoka was like I didn't realize that Ahsoka carried some of the guilt and weight of her that leaving the Jedi Order was possibly also led to Anakin becoming Darth Vader. Like I didn't it didn't click with me until here, and I was like, wow, that's yeah. that's pretty heavy. That's a lot of that's a lot she's put on her shoulders as well. Yeah, yeah, and 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 it even explains the subtle uh, um, uh, uh, interactions she had in you know with with, with the Mandalorian uh, uh, that she's not just a character who is distant. It is somebody who's carrying around something. And again, I think better done in this series than what they did with Luke in Episode Eight, which I still think was a valiant attempt but a misfire. Which is which is sort of how I view uh, episode eight, um, is that you know we, we didn't understand Luke's guilt there. We, we we got some flashbacks, we got some things. This made sense, and it didn't make you feel like you couldn't relate to the character. I totally related to that character. I saw her as as, as this fully developed character, but also this incredibly 
uh, evolving character just through those eight, just those eight episodes, um, and and the relationship with Sabine, you know, going back and forth, and, and the faults in that was really really uh, uh, well done. So, and again, I would say that took a little bit of a while to get past the sort of stereotypical. Oh uh, well, they don't they're 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 estranged right now. How are they going to resolve that? It it worked out. It really and both those characters, the guilt they carried, the 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 responsibility they felt. So they, they, this is like a show about what you carry with you and how to let go and figure out the next steps. Because Sabine had that uh, uh, with Ezra, you know, which was, which was, you know, every viewer is probably going, how could you, how could you have, uh, uh, you know, agreed with Balin uh, and, 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 uh, you know, given in in that moment? Well, I think a lot of us would. And Ahsoka's response to that was so genuine and heartfelt. It was not dismissing the mistake that it likely was, uh, and the respect and, and the galactic changes that would occur and the, and, and the import that would have been thrown back, but she understood it and, and, and took it from a point that was much more enlightened than I'd actually expected when watching that episode. I was like, huh, all right, you're not letting them off the hook, but you're also not failing to address where this other person came from and where that mistake came from and how they can learn and evolve, which is sort of where we get to the end where it's like, Oh, the team's back together and they're going to face this hopefully in another season. Um, and, and, and go on some crazy adventures, uh, trying to, uh, defeat Thrawn, uh, back in the uh, standard galaxy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, actually, there's a lot I, I want to like talk about that you, you just brought up. I mean, going, going back to like the, um, the Anakin part with uh, he and Ahsoka in the um, uh, what's that called? The um, I forget the name of the place they were in. Uh, anyway, when they were in the the other realm, that was like that was Anakin, right? That wasn't a projection. I'm assuming that was Anakin, like his proper Force Ghost talking with her. Yes, especially since we see the Force Ghost at the end. Uh, yeah, I think we can reasonably say that was that was the real thing, and that was a, some sort of crossroads of life and death. Between, or between states of existence, uh, things like that. It, it I mean, was... we've seen that before. I mean, I don't know if you saw those episodes. Those were, that was in Rebels also. So like, that's where Ezra saved Ahsoka from when she dueled with Darth Vader as he was in, in oh, okay, okay. And he pulls her out at the last minute before, you know, like the whole building is about to crash down on her when she's dueling, dueling with Anakin Vader in the Rebels. Um, so we've seen that world before. I think it's the world between worlds. Yes, world between worlds. Um, but anyway, so that's kind of... Um, it's an interesting take on Anakin's force ghost because he is both Anakin and it seems like Darth Vader at the same time when she, when he's like appearing, which is sort of like an interesting um, dichotomy that that's where I guess he is with, (laughs) is as a force ghost. I just thought it was very interesting whether or not he was pulling out Darth Vader just to teach her a lesson or whether or not Vader is like a part of him, even that he's moved beyond the physical realm. I just thought it was a very fascinating sort of um, look into what, what he is now. This is the kind of debate the show has provoked uh, amongst a lot of people I've had the pleasure of talking to about it is, you know, what does that mean for Anakin and, and the switch between, which wasn't, you know, complete Vader, but it was almost like Vader's real and is still real. The, the, the redemption is not about deleting Vader or, 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 or and, and, not, and certainly not saying, you know, that, okay, it's all fine now. Uh, uh, Anakin Skywalker became Darth Vader. There's no way to 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 undo that, and this and and this showed that uh, that you know, but that there's a weirdly a, a place for it. 
um, at least in terms of understanding. And, and, and that's where I like, I love going off on the tangents about, you know, and the things about, you know, what the Jedi are, you know, why they fell, the light versus the dark, but the inability to understand the, 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 the gray in between. And uh, that's, that's, that's what I got from this is that it's, it's almost like he's learned uh, in, in that uh, uh, next state of existence to reconcile both parts mm-hmm. of himself. Uh, because even before Vader was manifest, there were those darker instincts and the Jedi blamed it on him being you know too old. Well, I think it's only because when the Jedi get to somebody really young, they can learn better suppression techniques. Yeah. You know, it's like brainwashing somebody when they're really young and it's harder to do as they get older. And, that, and that's the fault of the Jedi. That doesn't really, really work. And this is saying, no, they need to address it uh, you know, from, from the ground up as to what are those darker sides? How do, how do we represent them? And what do you do when somebody is in pain? What do you do when they f- have fear, fear for their mother? fear of, 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 of the, the loss of their love and their potential child and all this other stuff. How do you deal with fear besides saying overcome it? You know, the generator sort of like overcome it. And Anakin's story could be so much more. And that's, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you on that. Hayden Christensen has the acting chops. He had charisma in that scene too. He had charisma just radiating off of him. The, 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 the slight smirks, which, were there in episodes one through three somehow done in this it was like oh i see this i see what this could have been i see what you could have been and the charmer he would have been and why padme would have fallen head over heels for him yes uh, because yes. that's who he was and yeah i you know i i, I wish he was given the opportunity to really uh uh really explore that as, as an actor in in the movies as is, I I would not be opposed to him being in more star Wars uh, going forward. I I think that, you know, Hey, they they bring back virtually everybody else. Why not bring back Anakin? They don't even have to uh, CGI de-age him. They could have older Anakin, a force ghost, uh, something, but uh, I, I I just want to see more of him for some reason. I just, I just want to see more of him now. Yeah, I was like thinking to myself, I would love after watching this, I would love if somebody like they were doing during COVID, like for a charity event, they got him, um, Natalie Portman and Ewan McGregor to do a a Revenge of the Sith script read. And they were finally allowed to act the way they they all of these actors we know can act. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Because Natalie Portman, that was like one of her first jobs. And but clearly, like she won Academy Awards. She can clearly act better than she was allowed to in episode three. And Mm -hmm. Same thing with you and McGregor. So I would love to ha- see them like actually speak the lines the way they they well, could pull it off. Liam Neeson had a lot of complaints about that, um, uh, and and, and you know, there were I think some exaggerated rumors about him leaving acting as a result of episode one. But I think he did take a hiatus, and that goes to you know again um, sometimes you know and that's the thing where like I really love George Lucas, and it's like know know your limits, know your skill sets, and know when to tap other people for where you may need uh, a course correction or where you may just need a second point of view that says, Hey, we need some life in this. And I get what you're going for, but you know, it's, 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 it's hard when you're the King, of course. And at that point he was the King. Uh, so nobody was probably giving him any real feedback uh, uh, on, on very much. And the actors weren't really in a position to do what it sounds like. So that again, is just, it's, it's a lesson in 
get the right people, get the right team, and get the right collaboration going, and you produce something really enjoyable uh, across the across the, the spectrum. And that was that's what this show ended up being: slow, slow start uh, to the first couple episodes, which really did rely on on knowing some previous previous things and previous shows. And then all of a sudden, I was hooked. I was like, I think from episode like four on, I was like, I got to see what happens. Yeah. And the other character that brought me in. Didn't know what they were going to do with him, and now I'm heartbroken. Uh, was uh, Ray Stevenson as Balin Skull? His yeah, pres- very intriguing character. Oof! Just the moment he comes on screen, I, I didn't rem- I didn't remember who who he was. I was like, "Well, I, this guy's familiar." Didn't realize my, my personal familiarity with Ray Stevenson is uh, uh, Titus Polo on the series Rome from HBO. Oh, right. Yes, I, I I didn't watch the show, but I know he was on there as well. Yeah. Yeah, and and. Uh, his presence. And then as you realize, oh, he's also more than just a Jedi gone bad. He has some greater, both some greater mission and journey, but he's also been messed up uh, by what's happened and, and heavily disappointed by the Jedi. He just comes on screen and you're like, all right, he's going to kick some ass. And he, but he's also going to just have this calm personality of pure strength you know, well, he's like our first, um, I guess, live action interpretation of what a neutral Jedi probably. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, my only I love Ray Stevens, and I would have the only like remiss that I had, which I thought they were going for when I saw the trailer, is I thought he was going to be Juris Kabaf from Heir to the Empire. I thought the same thing. I was like, I think take this from the books, and they, I mean, loosely speaking, he's a Jedi that ends up working sort of with Thrawn, but very quickly is you know uh, seen as a liability by Thrawn. So that's uh, and and. That that's it. Left behind at the end of the show because he thinks there's something bigger that's going to change everything. That that jumped into the very concept of the show, which this is this is where the show drew me in. Especially at the end was uh, a storyline that I'm seeing in a variety of different uh, uh, sci-fi and fantasy right now. The idea of stopping the wheel, stopping mm-hmm. the the constant vacillation between light and dark, up and down, everything else. Um, he is just sort of like, this is all messed up. This is all beyond uh, uh, the normal paradigm that we've been fighting for thousands of years of light versus dark, Jedi versus Sith. There's something more. It may require a grand sacrifice, and he'll probably go insane and go too far with it. But he sees that the way things have been don't work, that nothing actually gets resolved by the constant battles between Jedi and Sith. Uh, but what that is, I feel like we may not get this. We're not going to get to see it with him because he died. And that yeah. is such a loss to... Uh, to the show, a loss to the world because Ray Stevenson is a great, uh, great actor, um, and it's sad to see him taken before his time. Yeah. Uh, so I hope I hope they're good with some recasting or or writing with that. Uh, uh, you know, they, they they could pull. You want to know what I saw in my head? I I had a, a Transformers moment where it's like Megatron turns into Galvatron. Whatever grand thing happens there he's going to transform into a different person essentially. And that'll be the MacGuffin to get a new actor in, you know, they'll figure out something to do that. That would be, at least that's the way I would handle it. Yeah. That's a good way to handle it. Yeah. Instead of like trying to, it's hard to be hard to step into his presence. Yes. Another actor just picking up, like I'm bailing now. Well, it's kind of hard. I mean, very few people can do it. I mean, was it Michael Gam Gambina Gumbone who took over Dumbledore? I thought he was pretty successful in stepping into, um, Richard Harris's role, but it's hard to beat Richard Harris. So like the same yeah. thing with Ray Stevens here, you know, I'm sure that you could find somebody to just be Balin, but it would be better if they just sort of re 
regenerated him to use a Doctor Who, <laughs> Doctor Who reference. Like let's just yeah. regenerate him into a new character almost. Yeah, yeah, be, be, because you can't you can't really just try to re- recapture that. And uh, you know, shout out to uh, my friend Rob, you know, Rob, who you know, uh, who when we were talking about the show, and I said to him, I said, you know what? He reminds me if you were in that universe, that's who you would be as a Jedi. You know, from the aesthetic, from the gravity, from the from 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 everything else, and and sort of the uh, the way of, the style of fighting as well reminded me of uh, uh, him and uh, when I've seen him in, in in swordplay. It's just it's just absolutely uh, this compelling character, and you can't just you know redo redo something. You got to be respectful to that character and that actor. Uh, but yeah, what is he on about? What what is that grand you know plan that he has? And the but the origins of the force something big on that planet and that everybody seems to be afraid of uh the, the witches of dathomir want to get out of there uh thrawn was like yep his soldiers were getting clearly uh, uh messed up and their, their armor was damaged you know and we didn't you know there were other life forms on the planet that you know what what what, what are the names of the little uh uh Oh, the little turtle creatures? Oh, I forget their names. Yeah, I just forget their names. Um, and they were adorable, and they were sort of like Ewoks with shells, you know? <laughs> uh, uh, but but it showed that, you know, it wasn't like an evil planet. It wasn't a, uh, it wasn't a you know, just a bad force and bad juju there. That You know, th- th- there was a balance. But yeah, there's something more. These characters will come back from it in the next season and have to face off with, with Thrawn. Uh, and also, how cool is Balan Skull's armor? Like yes. his whole outfit, you're just like, yeah, that's and like props to the costume designers on that one. Well, it looks like he has very ancient armor from like some other part of the force or, you know, something, some lost Jedi thing that we, that we haven't, that we haven't seen. It's, you know, it's, it's like a lot of history with the way he was designed and looks. So um, I'm trying to look up the name of these creatures and I can't find it, but well, I wanted to go like kind of, you touched on it before what you were saying. And this is like something that kind of ties back also into like, episode you know nine i thought um you know not episode nine um episode eight um i kind of think that the way ahsoka was talking about the force and the way she was teaching sabine it's kind of like what i thought the force was like before the prequels where it like back in the decipher card game there was force attuned and force sensitive and even han what was han solo like force attuned or force sensitive in that card game like everybody has a little bit of access to the force but it's the Jedi's through their discipline and through their training know how to actually use and manipulate the force. And that seemed like what Ahsoka was kind of doing with Sabine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and they made it clear that Sabine was not as sensitive as others, hence the training was more difficult, but that it was still worthwhile. And uh, it seems that Ahsoka thought that Sabine could be a Jedi. It just might be a longer route. Uh, that was fascinating to me because, because that sort of goes against that very uh, uh, lineage-based Jedi of like either you're from the family of Skywalker or you you are are gifted it by the midichlorians. Um, and if you're not, you're just one of the plebeians who has no access to the force. But how could that be when in the very, you know, uh, well, especially, you know, in, in episodes uh, four and five, the first two movies, you have Obi-Wan describing the force as the thing that surrounds us, binds us, goes through all living things. How could it just be the Jedi who have any access to it? That that goes against the very nature of what was just described. And it became a little too, I think Star Wars became a little bit too oriented towards oh the jedi are the special people 
Mm-hmm. And, and I like this where it's like, no, every, everybody's tapped in and in different ways. And maybe that gives them their specialness and their some of their abilities that are not traditional Jedi abilities. Uh, and why Jedi are also vulnerable to other people, you know, uh, right. to be able to defeat them. Uh, because they're they're not just the, the, the lords and masters of the force and no one else gets to be part of the game. Um, so I, I, I like that. I like that sort of, uh, I think you're, you're right. And, and the, going back to that card game, you're right. Force attuned, force sensitive. Everybody had a little bit. Uh, and, they, and they listed Thrawn. I looked at the card, by the way, you brought that oh, up. Okay. Thrawn has been in a lot of card games uh, since the original collectible card game that we played, which I still think is the best. Yes. Um, and he's listed as ability four force sensitive, which is, again, they have to make him fit in the card game. He's, he, he's not force a force user in the books, but he's aware of the force able. There's something going on with him. Um, and then of course he develops the, you know, he finds the animals that are force repellent and uses them to oppose Jedi. And it was you know, cool stuff in the books. I don't think they brought that into the, uh, not yet, anyway. Not yet. I'm, Not I'm yet. imagining, like, if Filoni has, if he's given another season or wherever Thrawn appears, I'm sure more elements of Heir to the Empire will will come through. Um, I think bringing the Witches of Dathomir in is not only a, a, a very brilliant uh, stroke because they, they've been referenced before in, in the recent series, but they also fit that role of the mystical that Thrawn accesses. Even if he can't do it himself, he's, he's that kind of brilliant tactician, big picture seer. So he's like, this is how I can utilize something that I don't directly tap into, you know? Um, and, and he did it quite well in, in, in this show. Um, and, and with great success, you know? So. Yeah. I mean, Thrawn was like, um, I don't really, I mean, I'm assuming those are dead witches of Dathomir that we've, that he's, those are carcasses or, or, or a sarcophagus, you know, so, sarcophaguses that he's loading into uh the chimera but um because i know in in like um in clone wars the witches of dathomir resurrected darth maul and they resurrected darth maul's brother and they did all these different things so i guess those are all witches of dathomir that he's bringing back to our universe to what end i don't know maybe this could be like his undead army i guess maybe to um take over whatever the, the new Republic or something, but it's, I, I don't know anything about his, about what he's planning to do, but I'm, I'm interested to find out. Well, so he, here's the thing about Thrawn, which I think, um, give like a quick primer on the new Thrawn. Um, for, especially for listeners who aren't familiar with either the, the, the newer books or the newer series. I, I did a deep dive on this after those first episodes, because I think that's what this show gave me the opportunity to do was to reacquaint myself with the star Wars, uh, 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 shows and books that I had not uh, uh, followed in the last 10 years, mostly just due to time. And Thrawn is a little different than the heir to the empire Thrawn in, in, in this world. He's seen, they seemed, and, and Timothy Zahn seems okay with it from the interviews of, I, I read with him is that Thrawn is, has joined the empire is absolutely loyal to the emperor, but he has another reason for it that, that that wasn't explored as much in heir to the empire and it's his people the the was it the the, the Atrisis, uh Atrisis, Atrisis, yeah uh, uh, ascendancy uh, they that that he believes that his people are under profound threat uh, there is a greater threat in the galaxy right now and he viewed that joining the empire was a way to save his people both from the empire and something bigger and it becomes clear that he's not really 
he was personally loyal to the emperor because of what he was able to do and what the emperor gave him. Uh, uh, but it's more so this idea of the empire as a tool he can use to protect his people and serve some grander purpose in the galaxy uh, against a greater threat. It, it sort of gave me some Dune vibes, you know. It definitely. I, I was just looking on, on Amazon because I forgot. I miss, misspoke and said Ke- Kevin J. Anderson. Um, Timothy Zahn wrote all the new Thrawn novels. Like yes. He's, he's, he's involved in it. And those those were that was a great original trilogy, those there's, uh, new three Thrawn novels. And um I mean, you know, I don't, the personality that Timothy Zahn gives the new Thrawn versus the way, I guess, Dave Filoni wrote Thrawn is a little different because, you know, when you read the Thrawn books, he, um, he's, what seems evil or bad is really like, it's very Machiavellian, but he's not outright evil Thrawn. Like he's, like you said, he's doing it for a higher purpose and he's not, he's not maliciously killing or doing like evil things to our heroes because he has, he's doing it because it suits his end and it suits his loyalty to the emperor. So, um, but those, it's a great trilogy. And, and um, I, I, the new Thrawn is a little different, but I like that Timothy Zahn's brought in so much of the heir to the empire Thrawn into him too. Yeah. And I think that why Thrawn is such a compelling villain is not just the concept that he's a tactical and strategic master. It's that he, you're right. He doesn't hurt the characters because he wants to hurt them. He, he he's not a, a, a sadist. He does it, but at the same time, he also doesn't regret it. And no. that's it, it's just, it's this fascinating position that he's in, where he says, "I will do what is necessary. I won't regret it, but I also won't savor and celebrate it." So he's not celebrating the fall of an enemy. He's not like, aha, I have conquered. I am the conquering uh, master of the universe now. Like it's like that was accomplished and it goes towards my greater goal. And he might say it was unfortunate that those lives had to be, you know, you, you could say it, it's almost deadpan, but it's more than that. It's profound. So, and that makes him scarier because you know that you're not going to be able to, you know, you're not going to be able to emotionally manipulate Thrawn and no. play to his sentimentality. You know, please don't do this. Oh, this is of great importance and get him maybe distracted for a minute. Nope, that's not going to happen with Ron. You will not distract him. You will not appeal to his sentiment. You have to match him chess move for chess move. And that's why he's so scary. And, and he respects you too, because Thrawn looks at everybody and sees their worth and usefulness. And if it's, if he can't use, unfortunately, like sometimes he has to kill or destroy things that could have been useful or had value, but he has to do it for his like greater purpose. But he like sees everything with a sense of like, he's very like, um, I wouldn't say at peace with the universe. He understands how the universe works. Yeah. Yeah. From, from, from a very Machiavellian, uh, a materialist standpoint, he really does. And he gets his, fo- he gets his troops and his followers to buy into that as well. They're loyal to him because they, they say this, this guy's going to follow through towards that ultimate goal no matter what and if i have to if i make a sacrifice as one you know, as those stormtroopers willingly did um uh, uh they know that it's not for naught that it isn't some game that's being played with them uh, uh that well maybe it'll work maybe it won't work I, I i'm just feeling angry today i'm gonna send my troops out to destroy the enemy which is very much how the dark side of the force operates yes it's very impulsive by definition, very impulsive, very angry, willing to sacrifice anything for your own ego and and to, and, and to spite your enemy. Uh, that's not Thrawn. He, no. he, he will not, as I said, he won't arbitrarily sacrifice anybody, 
But when he does, you know it's for a reason. So if you're the if you are the stormtrooper or the pawn on the chessboard that is being sacrificed, it's so profoundly different than, you know, even when the emperor does it. Uh, and and that's why Thrawn is Thrawn is scary. Um, in my own sort of headcanon, I always imagined that uh, uh, Thrawn would have, in another version, been one of the greatest assets to the rebellion. Mm. You know, but but a controversial one at that. And I I, I wonder where they're going to go with this, knowing that he has a he has a grander plan that isn't about the emperor. I don't think I don't I mean, and, and I hope based on what we know from that series preceding ep- that, I mean, obviously they aired before episode uh, nine did, but I hope it's more than he's just also conspiring to bring the emperor back. I, I hope it is about his people and some grand galactic threat. Uh, I, I would love it personally if they wrote it, that he was actually trying to prevent the emperor from being brought back and believed a new form of order needed to be imposed upon the galaxy to handle whatever threat he he sees. And that's where the conflict comes in. Um, I don't like the idea of him as just a stopgap for the emperor, because I also don't think the emperor was brought back in a real or believable way uh, in in episode nine. And I think um, we can do better with that. And again, we, we got years before the next movies come out. I think, I think, I think that the, the that the, that these showrunners, a lot of the new people involved, are gonna they're gonna find a way to make it work with the movies. I just I just hope they do it well. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. You know, yeah, I don't want Thrawn to be a stopgap. That all this is to bring back the Emperor. I mean, I you know what I'm envisioning is Thrawn, like you said, wants to establish a new order and a new. I don't know. We'll say empire. I mean, you know, if, if they do go with the whole thing that he's establishing the first order, I can see the first order being something that, that Thrawn establishes, but, um, you know, I guess to make it work eventually in Canon, maybe like you said, internal forces who are loyal to the emperor will eventually take him out. Yes. Yeah. You know, he'll, the, the, the very thing that he's trying to create will be subverted because of, of internal forces beyond his seeing or beyond his ability to control. But I, I like the idea that he's coming to establish order out of the chaos of the the rebellion and the overthrow of the empire and you know he's he's got he's a law he's sort of a law and order type of guy so he has the vision for it and you know what would be a really cool sort of like story through line for that is that you know the, the way he was portrayed in the books is that you know we, we don't see him interact with the emperor a lot of that is you know is only referenced and in in the animated shows and some other things it's it's it's, it's sort of referenced to comic books show it um, and, and his escalation, the emperor knew what Thrawn was about. So, I mean, th- that's established, but I don't think that Thrawn would be trying to establish the type of organizations with the type of leaders that we saw in episodes seven through nine. That doesn't, do- doesn't strike me as where he would be going with this. What I think would be a cool idea for this is that, well, Thrawn comes in he is the big bad. He is the great threat to the New Republic. He's uh, 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 definitely a, a problem for them. And that in the end, he's defeated. But that his defeat is, is itself a Pyrrhic victory. That by taking Thrawn off the board, they opened up the doorway to the villains that we see in episodes seven through nine. Because I, I think if he were on that board, they wouldn't have been able to do what they did. I don't think they would have no. become what they became. And And... From my fanboy, you know, standpoint, I don't think we would have ended up with as many one-dimensional villains as we did with uh, with those movies. I think we would have ended up with a more compelling uh, uh, 
uh, type of thing. And maybe it's, you know, incorporate the bring back of the emperor as a crazy project of somebody who's trying to resurrect the emperor or clone him or something like that. But not that this was Palpatine's plan all along. That's that that was hamstrung into episode nine. We, we all sort of know that and acknowledge that, that it just sort of happened. This series did touch on that briefly with this concept of when somebody mentioned the emperor. And I think it's Sabine go, you know, they said, oh, the emperor's dead. And Sabine goes, is he? the first time in any of these shows really that we've gotten the sense that wait are there people skeptical that the emperor is dead and is it just because she knows his true nature because that's a big thing about the emperor is that uh, and we got that really well from andor is that the, the 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 regular citizens of the empire and and those that are being conquered by the empire don't have an idea that he's sith he yeah. is the great and powerful Emperor Palpatine, who is a masterful politician and has a grand idea, but they have no idea that he's a dark Jedi. Yeah, which uh, which I always I talked to Josh about this like off the air after watching like and Andor was like I would love to see I, I I know I don't a lot of people probably wouldn't see this, but I would love to see the Emperor in Andor to see how they would write him and how Ian McDermott would act because. That over-the-top emperor we see at the end, Return of the Jedi and Revenge of the Sith, doesn't match with the way they talk about him in Andor. That's what I'm saying. So I wonder if he's like more subdued than we think he is, and he's just over-the-top when he has to be. I don't know. I was having a hard time reconciling the emperor that they speak of in Andor with the emperor that we see on screen. He would absolutely movies. have to be in order to have created the empire that we see in screen, not only in these TV shows, but the empire that we see in episode four. And five, you know, uh, uh, where, where we where we only hear about the emperor in episode uh, 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 five, uh, Empire Strikes Back, where we see him in a hologram format. He wasn't over the top. He was just he was scary, but he wasn't. So oh, the over the top came when we met him uh, in, in the flesh in episode six. Um, and, and that makes sense. He was sort of at the end of his rope there in, in, in a way, about to like grandly conquer the galaxy. Yeah. Uh, uh, sees this other force user as a potential replacement and Luke to to Vader. You know, there, there's a lot of that. So I can see, okay, yeah, that, that works. But yeah, he, he can't just be like crazed. Well, episode three uh, deals with that a bit is that he sort of looks crazed when uh, uh, Mace Windu, uh, uh, you know, fights him and warps his face. But after that, when he proclaims the empire, he still has all the vestiges of being the chancellor and being the head politician. Um, uh, he's just declaring a grand new empire and is a little more dramatic about it. But yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to create that level of bureaucracy, that level of 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 organizational uh, structure that really were, that was what the empire was. It was it's 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 akin to the um, authoritarian horrible, terrifying armies and, 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 and nations we've seen, uh, uh, particularly those in, some of those involved in World War II, that are incredibly effective at building war machines and organizing and controlling societies. And, and that doesn't necessarily drive with this idea of like what the Sith are. No, the Sith no. seem to be very emotionally unbalanced and not suitable for a job like that. No, so, but they clearly, like, clearly, the Emperor. It's not like Emperor has like is a puppet Emperor. Like he is involved in all of these these. Oh yeah. So oh, he's, yeah. I guess, you know, it's sort of like they. I guess for the unhinged parts of the of the Sith, he's able to control it when he has to deal with bureaucracy because, like, he. It's not like you know he's well aware of like what the regional governors are doing and he's well aware of each step. It's not like there's anything that happened in the Empire without his notice. So he must be able to control it and rein it in. 
again, he, he reminds me of the God Emperor of Dune. He's sort of one step ahead of everybody through the Force, so he he can see the grand schemes and patterns and know. Okay, this is this is the Grand Moff to worry about. This is another one to secure his position and you know make him more loyal and give him more stuff, and therefore you know uh, solidify the Empire. Like he he was doing that the whole time. Like I at least that's how I imagine it. Well, I imagine that too. I mean, they didn't really. I don't think they've ever brought that officially into canon. What Timothy Zahn touched on in the books, but that was the whole purpose behind bringing that um, Thrawn getting um, Juris Kaboth is because the Emperor. The emperor's using of the force is what emboldened his troops and the people who, who of the empire to carry out what they did. And when he fell, they lost that extra what connection and that extra confidence or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I imagine that I, I always think of that as canon, as dude, like that's how the emperor was able to control the empire was because he was using the force on the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, and and, and it was it was it was both using the force and practically like an oracle, you know, and. Uh, it, it makes a lot of sense, but the structures he created endured right off right, right off the bat in episodes one and two in Ahsoka. You see the Imperial loyalists, mm-hmm. and they're loyal for a reason: self interest, but also because it worked. They were gonna have they were gonna get rich, or they were gonna have power. Like the Empire structurally worked for a lot of people, which is why they're willing to fight against it. And and, and that's where it goes beyond the traditional like. Uh, easily defined good versus evil and yet in the nuance of a world like ours where you're like wait a second how could these bad people be fighting for this nation or this world it's like well because it's it actually is an advantage to them they may be ruthless they may be inhumane as as as, as would say but it, it begins to make sense like i'm thinking about those those people who are uh, stealing the hyperdrives for the giant hyperdrive ring ship you know it made sense they're they're the bad guys but they made sense they weren't just you know, the bad guys for the sake of being bad guys. Like, when, when, you know, that, that's what I think of a lot of the, uh, the the cartoons of our childhood where the bad guys are the moral bad guys, but they're just bad guys. Yeah. We don't know why. <laughs> There's a necessary rhyme or reason. Hey, look at Thundercats. We, we do all those interviews. Like, no one really knows what Mumra's deal was with that, which I think we went on about a lot in that in that great episode. Uh, but that was, that's the nature of a simple story. This is, oh, no these people have real reasons and you're going to have to deal with them. And it's not as cut and dry as pure good, pure evil, because even in the Republic, what was uh, Senator Ziono? Oh, I want, he, you want to, you really, really, really want to punch him in the face. Yes. Um, I'm not advocating violence, but like as a character, you're just like, stop, you are such an idiot. You were so blind. And at one point you think, well, he must be pro empire. He must be secretly trying to build up imperial forces and, you know, and, and reestablish the empire, which I think is possible for that character. But I really think he's just a naive, arrogant Senator. I think that's what he actually is. And I think that's, and, and that's totally believable. It is totally believable. Yeah. I mean, it's totally believable that there's people on the, in the, in the new galactic Republic and on, on the Senate, like that are, okay, the empire is gone. It's all fine. And you can see Hera just having to control herself. Like, Oh my God, how do I, how do I not jump up on the desk? You know, like, how do I deal with this guy who's utterly disrespectful as well? But those are very real types of people. They go into denial about what is happening because for them, they, they couldn't even accept what was happening before in the empire. And now they're just sort of like, Oh, well, you know, I'm going to live in my fantasy world where that never really happened. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was like the, 
I, I never really cheered for him, but three PO showing up was one of the was a great part <laughs> to that. Scene. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and 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 the and the you know the the, the reference to you know uh, uh, you know Senator Organa you know was you know, like pulling him out of the fire by saying, "Yep, this was a clandestine mission that she did the whole time," which I really like. So there was another thing I really liked about that one moment, that one little brief moment, which. It, it, it sort of, it, it says, it, to me, it's sort of a little bit of saying, you know what? She was done dirty in episode seven, mm-hmm. you know, being sort of exiled from the Republic, but also just sort of like not giving enough for uh, Leia to really have referred to as her in her own history in the previous years. This is the indicator that no, what Leia was up to the whole time she was involved, she was doing amazing things. And she was also pulling her friends uh, uh, out of the fire when necessary. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I am, I am totally on board for, uh, for all of that. And yeah, I, th- I think they can retcon some of the things in these shows, even though it's pre-retconning, pre-con. I don't know what it would be called uh, uh, of what the movies didn't quite do. And, and and I think the future of Star Wars ideally does lie in TV shows like this uh, with the occasional movie. Uh, I don't know if that's business sustainable. This is this is the fan perspective. I love these shows. I love getting. Uh, 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 an eight or ten episode drop uh, from different shows every you know couple times a year. I hope that's sustainable. Uh, uh, and and then the occasional movie because movies are much grander, but they don't work once you have an established you know universe. You can only do so much in a movie. So I I, I like things like Rogue One, uh, um, you know where where it's dealing with a very specific event, time and place, and it doesn't necessarily have to be the only galactic event, the only, you know, let, let's defeat another Death Star. Just make me a good Star Wars movie. I'm, I'm sad Solo didn't, didn't didn't work. There were a lot of timing issues. Some, I, th- I think there's Star Wars fatigue. I think there is Star Wars fatigue that these shows know how to manage. Uh, but I, I feel bad for uh, for Disney having to deal with this. As I think I said in the beginning, listening, listening to the news, uh, uh, w- what I was listening to was was Bob Iger, and him coming back and thinking he was going to be the, uh, the the shining knight on the white horse to save Disney, and he found out that the problems were a lot deeper than than they realized, and Disney Plus is hemorrhaging money. So whether or not they can continue to fund shows like this is a major question, but I think shows like this are actually what give them the bread and butter. I, it, it's why I'm subscribed, and honestly, yeah. the moment they don't have them available, uh, if there isn't a new show coming out, um, I'm not. Since since I'm not subscribing to ES you know ESPN myself, which is their other property linked to that, the only other one is Hulu, which they're thinking of spinning off. So I say to myself, what do I really need Disney Plus for, if they're not going to be dropping as many shows yeah. uh, for us to watch in a given year? So Disney execs, listen to that. Figure out how to do it. Figure out how to drop enough shows, but make it profitable. I'll even pay more. I mean, I know the rates have gone up on Disney Plus. I'll pay more, but I think I'd want a few more shows a year if I'm going to be paying. Twelve, fifteen dollars a month. Got, got, got to give us a little more than just, you know, a season of Ahsoka every other year, and maybe a Mandalorian sprinkled in there as well. Give us something more. Uh, give us, give us more, and/or give us some really compelling content. Uh, and, and you know what? Figure out how to do it on the cheap. Because I, this is what I was saying to uh, to another person I was talking about this. I said this show was was visually gorgeous, beautifully done. It also felt like it had been done before. The same asteroid uh, TIE fighter battles, the same lightsaber battles. I I don't know if I'm representative in any way of the Star Wars base. I don't need 
constant lightsaber battles. I don't need constant space battles. As I, and I know people equate that with Star Wars. Give me that in two of the eight episodes. Give me a really good scene with a really cool space battle that you lead up to. But you don't have to do it every single episode. You don't have to have them draw their lightsabers every single episode, which actually sort of cheapens it a little bit. I think, mm. you know, let us wait and anticipate to see what a Jedi can do, and it'll save you a lot of money. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I agree with you. I mean, I, I think, um, yeah, the Disney Plus model, they just have to kind of like, with, with Star Wars and also with, with the whole Marvel MCU thing, I would prefer, I would like quality over quantity. And I think if it's one organization, I think there's ways of scaling back certain things and also, but, but able to give freedom and, and more resources to other, other things that could be worth their while in Disney Plus, um, you know. This is not, you know, I don't want to go off on another tangent as we're just wrapping up, but like the, uh, like the MCU needs to be reeled in a little bit. And I think for Star Wars, I think they just have to have a clear vision of where they want to go. I mean, I, I don't know if Filoni and Favreau and Kathleen Kennedy are all on the same page, but I hope they are for trying to navigate the new waters of, of where they're going in the future of Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I hope they do come to the same page. That's why I think before the next movie, they're not there giving it enough time to sort of figure that out. Uh, I, I imagine there'll be some shakeups at Disney at, 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 in the Star Wars uh, uh, department as well, just um, because uh, uh, everything's going on. But if they keep on producing shows like this and and tighten them up and really work on it, I mean, total total credit to Dave Filoni on this. Slow start, brilliant second half, knocking Thrawn, you know, out of the park. Just such a good, such a good. Uh, 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 characterization the actor flawless his speech patterns his his use of language i i went back and i replayed that a few times his intonation i'm like wow it's was i hearing this in the books 20 30 years ago i feel like i was i know it's his take on it but like it almost makes sense that yep that's how he would have spoken in the books because he was written in that sort of way say really brilliant job um Again, bringing on all, all the variety of also just extra actors into this show. And I'm sure they paid a lot for it, but there was our favorite Clancy Brown. Yes. As the yes, governor, sir. episode one. I was like, all right, here who, we go. Who, plays this, who also voiced the governor in Rebels. He's playing, he's re- reviving his same character from the show also. Ah, love, so. love that. You see, that's, that's what's smart about a show like this is that you, you're going to get the people with those things who've already watched previous shows. And they're going to be, they're going to feel, they're going to feel appreciated, by the way. I, th- I think viewers like to feel appreciated. Uh, it doesn't have to be massive amount of work, but the little Easter eggs, the little casting decisions make the viewers feel like, yeah, I'm part of this. Um, and Claudia Black as, as well. So, you know, I, I hope they keep on doing things like that. And I think that Dave Filoni and Favreau have that style. And I hope they give some room to some new writers uh, to also try some things out. That that's my advice is learn from Ahsoka, learn from like what it did really well. Give us give us a deep, crunchy show where you gotta know the mythos every once in a while. Don't make that every show, but do that every once in a while as a real treat for the hardcore fans. And then the other shows a little more accessible and you have a good balance. Uh, and you'll keep us coming back because you know what? That world, as long as it's not always on Tatooine, uh, we can keep on going back to the Star Wars world year after year after year, giving us different characters, different things to explore. Um, that's why there's been great success in the video games, you know. So Star Wars is by no means exhausted, uh, uh, but I think they have to stop retreading 
the same material. So credit to Ahsoka, the character of Ahsoka being herself almost becoming a little bit more of a, not, not becoming a great Jedi, but understanding the full spectrum so much more. Uh, uh, watching Sabine's journal uh, journey, um, you know, Morgan's Elbeth, Morgan Elsbeth being a really compelling uh, uh, villain in her own right yeah. uh, in, in yeah. across multiple shows. Uh, very, very cool stuff. So I have, you know, mostly good to say about this show. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I just, I just want more. I just want more Thrawn as soon as they can get it to us. Yes. <laughs> well, I think that's a good place to end. I agree, John. I want more Thrawn too. So, uh, listening audience, if you've enjoyed this episode talking about, uh, the Star Wars universe, but uh, mostly focusing on Ahsoka, um, please, we'd love to hear your thoughts and comments when we drop this episode on our, um, Facebook page. Uh, if you have, um, if you want to follow us on Instagram at Secret Origins MC, and if you'd like to email us, Secret Origins MC at gmail.com. Uh, John, thank you for being here and giving all your um, wise and astute observations about the show. I couldn't have done this episode without you. <laughs> well, thank you. And thank you for having me. And um, listening audience, we will talk to you on the next episode.